Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Gardenmore Presbyterian Church. Keep up to date on our website, gardenmorechurch.org, or search for us on Facebook. If you look back over your life, what have been the times that were by far the most nerve-wracking for you? When there were knots in your stomach and butterflies in your tummy, and I'm not talking about a bush tucker trial. For me, without doubt, It was times in my life when I had to sit examinations and tests, both at school and at university, and a great deal hung on the results of those exams in terms of the future. From my 11 plus to my O levels, from my A levels to my degrees in university and in seminary. For me, exams and tests caused me sleepless nights, nervous sickness, and I always find it hard to stay calm. And I can tell you, I was overjoyed when my last ever exam for my education was over and I wouldn't have to be tested in that way again. Chapter 43 of the book of Genesis might well be described as a series of tests that come to the family of Joseph. First to his brother Judah, then to his father Jacob, and then to all the brothers together. How would they fare as they face these tests? Would they pass or fail as the chapter unfolds? If you go to the passage in Genesis 43, you'll notice that it's Judah who faces the first test in the problem over what to do about his younger brother Benjamin and the return to the land of Egypt. When they were last in Egypt getting their first supply of food, the demand that Joseph had made to the brothers was that when they next needed food, they had to bring their youngest brother Benjamin with them. It was a demand that perplexed the brothers and which almost broke the heart of their father Jacob. And yet, that first batch of food ran out, they were faced with the prospect of starvation, and so there was no alternative but to do what had been required. But out of this band of conflicted brothers, who would step up to the plate and actually do something? Judah? Surely not. Because Judah was someone who always seems to have been careful to put his own interests above everyone else's. If you read through the previous chapters, and in particular the the rather sordid details of chapter 38, you'll observe a selfish, egocentric and hardened individual who only ever seems to think of himself. But there's a change here. In chapter 43, as he's tested on how much he is still in that mould. Yes, you could say it is still family that Judah is looking out for. But verse 9, he is doing so at great personal cost. Judah is prepared to commit himself to the safe return of his father's youngest. What a difference! where before he was complicit in the rejection, the abuse, 
and the sale of his father's favorite son Joseph now he's prepared to accept full responsibility for the protection and safekeeping of his father's favorite son Benjamin God has clearly been at work in Judah's life imperceptibly but gradually and significantly transforming him and preparing him for when he'll eventually meet Joseph not as this anonymous man in Egypt but as the brother he callously got rid of all those years ago and surely what we can learn from this test that Judah passes is that no matter how great or how awful a person's sin is God can still draw that person to himself the Lord can speak to someone deal with one whose life might be characterized by many sins and grievous sins but his patience is such that he works change in that person and his grace covers over those sins once and for all I'm sure most of us have heard or read testimonies where people have been almost unbelievably saved by the grace of God they've been alcoholics they've been drug addicts serial adulterers the most dishonest of business people who have been convicted of their sin because they have felt the gracious hand of God seizing them and not letting go until they have yielded to his love and forgiveness and the reason why they've got a testimony like that is not only because God has been so patient with them sometimes over years and decades but because his grace is more powerful than the sins that had enslaved them the enormity of a person's sin is no barrier to the forgiveness that God can grant and so if you're listening to this and, and trying to relate what's happening to Judah to your own life and circumstances perhaps you might be thinking one of two things maybe it's well I'm not that bad a sinner well I've got news for you yes you are all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory that's what the Bible unequivocally teaches us and so if you're ever to know a peace with the Lord and a place in heaven secured for you step one that needs to be acknowledged but if it's the opposite you're thinking not I'm not that bad a sinner but I'm far too big a sinner to know God's grace then I've also got news for you no you're not but if you want to know forgiveness and eternal life you need to put your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus Judah was being tested here and it's patently clear that the Lord was dealing with him and drawing him to himself and he does that in our lives in love and in grace he deals with us and he draws us to himself another test that we can see taking place in this chapter is then one that's faced by Jacob God's testing Jacob here in order to rekindle his flagging faith and deal with his introspective self-pity 
Jacob has been a somewhat anonymous character in the story of Joseph since we last saw him in chapter 37. He re-emerges in chapter 42 when the famine strikes or from another perspective when God is in the process of bringing this disjointed family back together again. The trouble was that while enormous tragedy had befallen Jacob in the loss of his son, it seems to have knocked the foundations of his life for six. And we can see that in several snapshots of what he says and what he does. With Joseph now gone, Jacob seems to be almost idolising Benjamin and holding on to his son way too tightly. In chapter 42, when only nine sons and not ten return from Egypt with food, he laments in verse 36, everything is against me. In verse 38, he says that if anything happens to Benjamin, it will literally be the death of him. And into this chapter 43 and verse 6, he again brings up what has happened and blames his sons for mentioning the fact that they had a younger brother still at home. A paranoia seems to have crept in, whereby Jacob is more aware of the injustices of life than the Lord who is sovereign over it. But again, there's a change. If you look at chapter 43, verses 11 to 14, it's like here is the new Israel, not the old Jacob. With one of his sons already in prison, his greatest fear is that Benjamin going to Egypt might never return. And yet, verse 14, he commits the whole situation to the mercy of Almighty God, whilst not knowing what the future will be. Do you know that is true faith? It's looking into the unknown. It's acknowledging all the uncertainties. It's realising that things might not work out the way you would want them to. And yet, trusting in the God of all wisdom and all goodness and all power. It's an expression of trust in the God that he is beginning to remember after so long. You see, for Jacob, this is no longer, everything is against me. This is if God be for us, who can be against us? This is no longer what he said, you will bring my grey hair down to the grave in sorrow. This is, my times are in your hand. This is no longer, I am weak, what can I do? This is when I am weak, then I am strong. Jacob's coming out of the darkness of being absorbed by the genuine tragedies he has experienced. We don't want to undermine them in any way. But he's being drawn into the liberating, illumining light of renewed faith in the God whose unseen hand has graciously been upon him and his son and his sons throughout this entire time. You know there can be times when we can all too easily feel that absolutely everything is against us, 
that God has deserted us and we're all on our own. Our lives are affected by something truly awful and we clam up and begin the grim retreat into ourselves. Like Jacob, it could be something as awful as losing a son or a daughter or a loved one. It could be illness where the prognosis is truly bleak. It could be looking for a job after 44 year, 40 years of age and unbroken employment for 25 of those. There are any number of ways that our lives can be genuinely affected by all kinds of sorrows and tragedies. But the thing is, what are you going to do? Of course, there's a, a time for mourning. The Bible tells us that there must be a period of coming to terms with what's happened and allowing it all to sink in. But then, are you going to allow it to drive you from God and cripple your faith? Or are you going to resolve to see in it all that God has not left you, that he is still at work in your life, and that he really does work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Jacob had lost his way. He'd got caught up in himself and wasn't able to see the Lord with the clarity that he once had. And it's no coincidence that God uses a period of uncertainty and anxiety to bring him back to the Israel of old. So be warned, be on notice. Watch out for times of heartache times of anxiety, times of genuine pain. It just may be that God is doing something in your life and in his grace, drawing you back to himself. And then thirdly, a further test comes, not just for Judah and for Jacob, but a further test comes for all the brothers. Whenever towards the end of the chapter, they're sitting at the table in Joseph's home. They've returned to purchase grain, but to their surprise, and verse 18, to, to the fear of their still more than ever so slightly guilty consciences, they're ushered to the Egyptian equivalent of 10 Downing Street, the home of the Prime Minister, and they're there for a meal. And after this emotionally charged interchange between Joseph and his brothers when he sees his younger blood brother for the first time in 25 years and he has to go out and weep and then wash his face and come back. Then comes the final test of this chapter. How would these brothers react when Benjamin got five times the amount of food that they did? When they received the, the, the plain burger off the set menu while Benjamin was served a luxury mixed grill from the a la carte. You see, didn't they have previous when someone in their family got special privilege and they were treated with casual regard? Well, verse 34 tells us they simply feasted and drank freely. No resentment, 
no bitterness, no menacing glances, no covert hostility. It's another test passed. They were simply happy to be reunited and to be enjoying the more than hospitable way in which they were being treated by this Egyptian ruler. And you know that's how it should be whenever we see someone enjoying an abundance of blessings from God's hands. No jealousy, just rejoicing with them in the mercies of God. No resentment that it's him or her or them and not me and mine. There's a little verse in Romans chapter 12 that says this, Mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. Do you do that? Do you rejoice when people receive a, a, a greater portion than you, when they have this abundance of good things from God's hand? Because you should. Because it's every bit as much a sign of godliness and Christ-likeness in your life when you do that as when you draw alongside someone in sorrow and pain. And you know, isn't this whole scenario around the table of Joseph and these brothers sitting there and enjoying this meal and this hospitality and this warmth, isn't it just the most lovely picture of what God does for us in the Lord Jesus Christ? The gracious invitation, the abundant provision, the undeserving guests, the generous host, the master serving the needy, and the covenant promises of God coming to fulfilment. Did you notice these brothers were astonished that this Egyptian seemed to know them when he set their places from the oldest to the youngest? Aren't we all astonished that the God who knows us, who knows our sins and our weaknesses and our feelings, should have his son live and die for those very things and for the places he sets for us at his heavenly banqueting table where we'll feast forever in his presence. So those are the tests of Joseph's brothers and Joseph's father. They were all being dealt with by God and they were all showing signs of a warming of their hearts to the things of God. Oh, they're not there yet. There's still some things to happen before we see relationships restored, both vertically as well as horizontally. But they're on their way. God is patient. He is merciful and all-wise in drawing these men back to himself. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word.